we are at the very end of this gin journey. Does that mean that we will not be talking about gin in the future? No. But let's let's just say for the short term of it all, we're done. We're done after this episode. Uh, I wanted to do right up front a little bit of a recap. But before we can even dive into my Google Doc outline for this podcast, something, something has changed significantly in Austin, Texas. Something that has to deal with the outside. This morning, I went for my run. And me, I'm a very, I'm a naturally sweaty person. Embarrassingly sweaty, okay? Like, if I'm walking next to you in 80 degrees weather, in about a minute and a half, I look like I have uh, run a marathon. Um, it's just, that's just how it's always been. That's just something that I deal with. So I went on my morning run, as you do, as I do, expecting in a minute and a half to look like I have run far further than I will and have. Instead, not a drop of sweat. And I said, I said to myself, oh, winter, winter is here. Winter has come early. So early. Tomorrow is going to be October 1st. And this morning was a breezy 60-ish. I mean, how can you even run in that kind of weather? You know, it's disgusting. And I get it. I know a lot of y'all, a lot of y'all are happy about this. And you're saying to yourself, yeah, we're excited for fall. To be excited about fall is to be excited about lukewarm milk. Are you excited about lukewarm milk? Congratulations, you love fall. Welcome to the Sick Palette Podcast. It's your host, Deepa Shreder. Let's get into gin. Um, so I want to do this particular podcast in three parts. Um, the first part, a little bit of a recap of, of all the things, all the things we have learned in gin, in ginergy, as my very good friend Kenny would say. Um, then I want to talk about, uh, gin in America, which is something that we really haven't dived into. And then we're going to end this podcast with a little bit of at least one style of future for gin. Um, it's, it's kind of exciting. So that's, that's how we're going to do this particular episode. So I've been trying many different kinds of gin drinks, some better than others. And... Um, <laughs> I wanted to tell you the two combinations that are nothing. They are definitely not actual cocktails. 
They are not cocktails that I would ever give you a recipe, for instance, uh, below on the Substack. But these are things that I have gravitated towards, and I, I, um, I don't know what's happening. So I wanted to just present them as they are to you. And if you feel like I need to talk to a professional about it, you know, just just um, DM, comment, or email. Uh, because I I just don't I just don't know when we have been talking about different kinds of gin cocktails why I'm going to these two. So the first one um the first one <laughs> um Ava Pendleton of Austin Quaco I would say, I think on our second meeting ever of each other, uh, gave me like packets of buckwheat tea. And I think there was a reason behind it, but now I don't remember. And it just was living in my pantry. And I was like, oh, let me make some buckwheat tea. Why not, right? Never really had it, so was intrigued. Made some buckwheat tea. Which apparently is like good for you in 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 a plethora of ways. Y'all got Google, you can do it. Um, so made the buckwheat tea, and was like, "This is good. Tastes tastes like buckwheat in liquid form, but in a pleasant way." I'm I'm down. I'm here for it. Um, and it was during the evening, so I was like, "Ha! Huh, this this might be a good moment to make this into." Uh, a very lazy nightcap. Um, so I poured a little bit of gin in it, a little splash of lemon, and it's stuck, okay? It is now something I look forward to. <laughs> it is my version of chamomile tea. In fact, I made it for her the other day, and judging by her reaction, she does not think this is a drink either, rightfully so. I cannot endorse it enough, though. It is one of my most favorite moments of my night. And I don't understand if it's just like a panic attack in liquid form. So it's a, it's like a hot toddy, but with none of the attraction of a traditional toddy is where we're at in life. So that's that's drink number one. The other drink definitely I know comes from just like sheer, sheer laziness and, and sheer something else. Now let, let me tell you, y'all know, y'all know I love a tamarind ice cube, right? There's been like at least, I think there's like two different iterations of a tamarind ice cube uh, on the Substack. There's one that is um, jaggery and tamarind based and the other one that is just essentially about freezing tamarind water. Um, so you get yourself a glass, get yourself like one of those just like 
I guess you could consider it, is it a, a Tom Collins glass? You know what I'm talking about, just like a, a glass you would put some, some neat liquor into. You get one of those. Stick that in the fridge. Give it like, give it, a, give it a few hours, you know. You'll be reminded to make this drink every time you open the fridge and be like, oh, look at this empty glass. That sort of moment. You grab one giant tamarind ice cube um, out of your freezer, right? Because I'm just assuming that we all have tamarind ice cubes from now on on deck in your freezer. You should just do it. It's going to be great. This is, a, this, is a, this is a quick segue uh, from, from this other, I, I will call a panic attack drink. Um, everyone should be freezing. If you, if you make tamarind water, which a lot of these recipes that I include on the Substack to have tamarind water, if you make a giant batch, freeze it. Freeze it like you would, like, you know how... I feel like in the early 2000s, a lot of like Food Network cooking shows were like about freezing chicken stock. Did I make that up in my head? I feel like there was like freezing chicken stock or or chicken bouillon in ice trays was like a thing. It's kind of like that, but you're doing with tamarind water. So that way you don't have to make it all the time. And then when you're making a South Indian style curry or you're making a soup or you're making a dal or making whatever, honestly, especially wintertime, you just take, pop one of those babies out, stick it in your pot, instant flavor. You know, listen, this is, this is a hot tip from me to you. This is a tip you can use. Okay. Back to my panic attack drink number two. So I get one of these uh, tamarind ice cubes and then I pour over it just a neat amount of gin, just something to really get you going. Okay. Lots and lots of lemon or lime. And then I stick it back in the fridge and I forget about it for another hour. (laughs) So this is a drink you can even make like towards the end of your day if need be. Okay. Um, go do something, go have another activity, open the fridge again, take out your drink. Uh, now that the tamarind ice cube has melted slightly, you have a a sort of, uh, gin based slushy. Can't get enough of it. Can't get enough of it. Like I said, are these drinks in the traditional way, would you consider it good? No. Will I stop doing these things? Absolutely not. So maybe what I'm hoping, because now um, the research for, for gin and all things gin, maybe, maybe these, these two uh, quickly formed habits will will start to die, is my hope. But I will keep you guys informed um, about, about where we're at. It's not, I don't find it to be too troubling yet. But it is something to just like put a pin in, you know what I mean? Just mentally like, let's just stick a little, 
be in that bonnet. Just keep it there for a second. Let's talk about what we have learned about gin, okay? Um, so I guess it's it really comes to to like three different things that I think that have that have surprised me about gin. The first one is that gin is more than other spirits. Gin is like more of a vibe than like a a recipe that you can follow. Um, it must include juniper, but like, honestly, it can forever be freestyled. Gin is like, just like essentially like, if you feel it in your heart, that thing is gin. Um, and I think it has a lot to do with the fact that it comes from a pretty wild past, um, where (laughs) certain ingredients in gin included turpentine and my favorite sawdust. Um, And before people had safer ways of distilling liquor, gin could cause blindness or death because of turpentine and sawdust. Um, And then the third thing is uh, gin and tonic playing a really important uh, and dark part of colonization. Um, and we're, and we're going to circle back to that, uh, towards the end of this podcast. But the fact that tonic water, um, was made available and was created because (laughs) when the British were, were doing, were doing their robust colonizing, um, they had to deal with malaria. And then to make the tonic water more bearable, uh, you would add gin to it while you were colonizing. So we've we've had a whole podcast about it. So if you're interested in um, going going more into a deep dive of whatever all of that means, definitely check the uh, gin and tonic episode. Okay, part one, boom, done. And now we need to talk about gin in America. Um, I, I find when we talk about um, innovation in America, this, this needs to be up there. Listen, I know that... It's it's a little bit en vogue to talk about what a fucking mess America is. And listen, it is. But there is such thing as American ingenuity. Um I know that's an unpopular take, but that is that is why um this country this country was able to be a cut above pretty quickly throughout the Industrial Revolution. Well, it's because that ingenuity came from, do I need to fill in this blank? <laughs> Immigrants! America was on top for a long time because of immigrants. Immigrants are an important touchstone for American exceptionalism. Otherwise, it just, 
it's just, uh, well, well, y'all read news, right? You know, we don't need to go too, too into it. But that is a segue into um, what I think is a very, <laughs> a very interesting take on how we have built a society based, a society and culture based on uh, going viral, um, trends, hype. America has been a hype machine. Okay. Not, not because of the internet, though that has obviously helped. But this country loves, loves to do dumb little pranks. Okay. (laughs) Enter. Enter our first cocktail. We're going to talk two different cocktails that are gin-based and made in America. Before we get into that, I'm getting ahead of myself here. Let's talk about the difference between American gin and the traditional London dry gin. So as discussed on previous episodes, gin is technically an English product, but it was literally just like kind of like a a juniper booze fest that could blind you um, until uh, the Irish made it safer. And then after that, um, going to these different countries, uh, gin started to have a flavor palette. So... I promise there will be times when I will give the British credit. I'll give the British credit at some point. I will. I I feel it, okay? <laughs> so, London Dry Gin essentially is really 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 juniper forward. So, that is that is what the distinction of a traditional London dry gin is. You will get a little bit of those citrus flavor notes, but this is about like having a gin that that tastes pretty piney. It should taste like you are kind of like chewing on a Christmas tree. Um, but in a pleasant way. I like a London dry gin, you know? Come on. Um, American gin is far softer on the juniper and um is like a lot of gins that are not based in England uh that means that they get to be creative uh with with all the other botanicals uh they get to kind of play around with what that is once again gin is not something that that is as so restricted in what the definition is it just it just isn't it just really is like a vibe. Like, don't make it from potatoes. That's vodka. Make sure juniper is involved. But it's essentially, it's just like an herbaceous liquor that you can just sort of freestyle. Do not also add turpentine and sawdust. Um, but that's, that's gin. Um, and there's all sorts of amazing um, American gins that have popped up, I would say, in the last 12 years. Um, but it, it is interesting how I feel gin has 
become kind of kind of similar, I would say. Gin has become a way for more people to get into this beverage game. Because if you if you have access to building something that has this sort of price point um, and making sure that it has like some sort of um, individualism to it where you can kind of base it on your point of view, then that does automatically make the game more equitable. Does that mean that the game is equitable? No, that's, that's a, a, a bigger, longer conversation. But I do find that gin has that sort of entryway, at least in the definition of what it is or what it could be. So let's let's go back to the idea of America always being this little this little hype queen, okay? And let's talk about the Tom Collins cocktail. So I read a couple um, articles on Tom Collins. And I found the Business Insider one to be the best one. So that is also in reference down low on Substack. I have never been a huge fan of a Tom Collins because it just seemed... Now, this is coming from someone who has invented the um, the buckwheat hot toddy gin drink. So, you know, take take everything I say with a with a giant, giant, big crystal sea salt, Okay. Um, it's a gin cocktail and it's made with lemon juice, soda water, and sugar. It's just, to me, of course it's going to taste good. This is, to me, uh, we're, we're talking about a boozy lemonade. So it's, it's not going to be bad. It's going to be good. It's just like, it's fine. Is, Is there anyone out there that is like ordering a Tom Collins today? And I would like to meet you. Well, actually, I probably wouldn't like to meet you. You probably like fall. You probably like lukewarm milk. Let's talk about the Tom Collins. So, essentially, (laughs) Tom Collins is not actually named after a person. It's named after a really viral joke from 1874. Um, And the joke is, deeply stupid. So here's how the joke would go, okay? Back in 1874. So someone would approach you and ask you, hey, have you seen Tom Collins? And and say it like in a, I guess like in a cadence, like you must be familiar with Tom Collins. Um, and then you would be like, uh, no, I don't, I don't know who that is. And then these are in quotes, the first person would say to you, perhaps you had better do so, and as quick as you can. For he is talking about you in a very rough manner, calling you hard names and convincing people there is nothing you wouldn't steal short of a red hot stove. Damn. Then you would be very upset, and you would go, apparently, just running around trying to find who the fuck this Tom Collins is. But the joke is, he never existed. That's the whole thing. That's the whole joke. There is nothing more to it. And 
it became super viral and it was like a huge hit in New York and Philadelphia. And maybe you're saying to yourself, this is very stupid. People back then were very stupid. Just remember that on TikTok, um, eating Tide Pods was a thing. Um, I believe the other day I saw an article explaining to, I guess, people who are wanting to try the NyQuil chicken, which is chicken marinated in NyQuil, um, to, de- to deter them from doing that because of the serious health consequences. So humans, humans have been very dumb for a very long time. Um, so essentially, this became such a huge hit that newspapers were covering it. Um, there were also even like joke stories about false sightings of Tom Collins. There was a lot of songs. It was just like, it became just sort of part of the culture. Tom Collins. And then one very smart bartender just essentially was like, oh, let me just name a drink Tom Collins since that's on everyone's mind. It's a pretty smart way of doing things, right? Where you're like, I'll just invent something called this thing that people can't stop talking about. Um, and that'll be that'll be the drink. And the drink stuck, obviously, and the joke didn't. Um, and obviously, you can tell like this dude did not put a lot of thought into it. He just was like, you know, you got some sugar, you got some soda, you got some lemon juice, you got some gin, boom, bam, Tom Collins, here you go. And it's still, it's still here. It's still happening. Um, the second one that I would like to talk about is, is a drink that I, I really like. It's a drink that, um, I, so let me, let me back up a little here. There used to be a restaurant here in Austin. It is no more, but it was. It was one of those restaurants that if you were wine cooking in the 2010s plus, you would go there and you would order the Corpse Reviver number two because it was amazing. Um, and it was, it was like a brunch feature on this, this restaurant RIP that is no more. The Corpse Reviver I love because... It's a drink that essentially is about rousing somebody from their hangover. It's a hangover cure. And I, I have a certain affinity for cocktails that are meant to cure or like help reinvigorate yourself. They're, they're like, I don't know what exactly it is about it, but I... I just love that sort of origin story of a cocktail. I love talking Bloody Marys. I love talking micheladas. I, and this is, this is one of those cocktails that I feel are right in there with it. Uh, made with gin. So this was a pre-prohibition cocktail. Um, and essentially, it was, it was to help you get your shit together in the morning. Now, like with with all of these cocktails that are meant to revive you, right? 
you're supposed to have one. That is the important part of this. If you are going to have this, <laughs> it's important. It's important to essentially um, to to be a to be a person with balance. With because it is a delicious cocktail. If you have two, then then you're going back to needing more revival, right? So I, I beg you, if you're going to do a Corpse Reviver, if you're going to do it right, you need to do it uh, on a weekend morning. There needs to be just one, just one. Then you take an afternoon. No, no, no. Then you take a nap into late morning. Then you chug a bunch of water and then you go on a run. And then you're, you're right as rain. Do not... Do not start having the Corpse Reviver in twos or threes. Please honor what the Corpse Reviver number two is supposed to do, okay? So this is a drink that features gin, uh, Lilit Blanc, which is like a, it's like a French liqueur, orange liqueur, and fresh lemon juice. I like to do a Corpse Reviver, um... Uh, oh, also, you can also, <laughs> I don't do this in my Corpse Reviver because this is, this is, I think, this is a bridge too far. Uh, you can rinse your glass with absinthe. <laughs> Pre-prohibition drink, okay? This is a pre-prohibition hangover drink in America. <laughs> Give it a quick little absinthe rinse. Like I said, that's optional. Uh, and then essentially it's, it's one part of each, each part of the drink, which is one part gin, one part Lille Blanc, one part orange liqueur, one part lemon juice. Here's my opinion. It is supposed to be one part, one part, one part, one part. If you really want to be reviving said corpse. This is how I would do it. One part gin, one part little blanc, one part orange liqueur, three parts lemon juice, freshly squeezed. People would say, well, that's not a corpse reviver. It's reviving corpse. That is one. That's how I see it. Anyways. Um, but yeah, I I really I I think there's like some some sort of I think especially in America from the 1880s to the 1920s um there's there's a real playfulness of cocktails that I really enjoy. Um I feel like they they made cocktails made with purpose, but also they were all kind of like jokes and I don't know. They were they were having fun with gin. Sure. Listen, I am not one of those people that is like, that was a better, simpler time. It wasn't. It was fucking terrible. But <laughs> um there is there is something to when I see a corpse reviver number two on a menu or when I when I hear about the history of these drinks. There's, there is something to it. So 
that's our little section on America and gin. Still going strong, y'all. All right. We're coming back with part three. So we talked about how gin and tonics are essentially a, a symbol, a symbol of, uh, it's, it, it's a colonization cocktail, right? Uh, it helped fortify the British <laughs> um, in, their, in their quest to, to colonize uh, various countries, uh, including the Indian subcontinent. So in my research of gin, the thing that started to really stand out was the fact that there was a lot of interesting gin being made that wasn't from America or uh, in Europe, which led me to this uh, whetstone article a whetstone magazine which is an incredible um magazine that that really kind of dives into what i would i would say it it dives into what decolonized food and wine and drink could look like um so in this article uh it's actually talking about emerging um craft gin that is being made in India. Uh, so a little bit of a preamble here, and this is, I'm quoting this. Um, after, you know, the gin and tonic became kind of a staple in, in British armies uh, while they were furthering, furthering their, their colonizing in India, it's hard to go through like another transformation. Um, and it became a highbrow craft cocktail in India. So essentially, uh, you know, in in clubs, in um, essentially like in high income households. So there was a lot of um, British expats in India, and this was this was a way to kind of establish status. And that was kind of a legacy that was left behind once the British left India. So after our independence, um, the gin and tonic was was still like kind of a stalwart in our in our clubs. Now, when I say clubs in India, I do not mean the same thing as clubs here in America. Um, we have cricket clubs in India. They're like country clubs. And essentially, um, I, obviously, obviously it is, it is definitely shrouded, um, in, in that sort of British status culture. However, what I do love whenever I do go to a cricket club in India is they always have great Indo-Chinese food. Uh, which is, yes, a a whole section, a whole subculture of food in India. Um, but you can also get typically a really well-made gin and tonic in these uh, British-styled cricket clubs. 
all over India. So it kind of became, you know, a little bit of like a bougie drink. And then in the 90s, essentially, it, it got another transformation and more Indians were drinking gin and more Indians who weren't necessarily at a cricket club uh, were, were about it. And so that kind of opened up the idea that gin could be a spirit we could make, which makes a lot of sense because we, we helped make the original spirit without a lot of our flavors and spices, we would not have what is considered modern era gin. Uh, but what's really great is a lot of these uh, craft gins are using indigenous herbs and botanicals. It's uh, Himalayan juniper. It's lemons that have been grown um, from the region that they're making the gin. And uh, I wanted to highlight from this Whetstone article a few of these distilleries. Um, so the first one we're talking about is a triple distilled. Um, it's a neutral grain spirit, which once again, gin can be made. <laughs> gin is a vibe, right? Gin is a vibe, not a recipe. Uh, Jaisalmer uh, Indian Craft Gin. Um, they make it with... Uh, obviously the juniper berries, but they are adding orange peels that are coming from central India and Dar Darjeeling green tea leaves. Um, then there's Greater Than Gin, which is a craft gin from Now Spirits um, that has gotten lots of international acclaim. It's got juniper, um, fresh lemon peel, and also ginger on the finish. Um, and essentially, uh, they coined it as an improved version of the London dry gin made in India, which I love a little shade. <laughs> and then Hapusa, which is another offering from uh, Now Spirits. So this is like their greater than gin is like their first iteration of craft gin. Hapusa is they're like, no, 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 we're we are fancy, fancy. Um, it's made with distinct. It's distilled with foraged Himalayan uh, juniper, and it's uh, Hapusa's Sanskrit for juniper. So they're really, they're really kind of making sure their juniper is like real, um, real distinct, real fancy. I mean, when once you start using the word foraged. You know what like territory we're getting into. Um, they're also like making sure all the botanicals are just as well sourced. So it's uh, turmeric from Tamil Nadu, um, lemons from West Bengal, dried mango. I want, I want this gin. I need to get my hands on this gin. Maybe, maybe if I can get my hands on one of these, we'll do like in the dead of winter. Hopefully. Hopefully in February when we're all still having heat here in Texas. Maybe we'll, we'll um, talk about that. Um, and then there is Stranger and Sons Gin, which is uh, from Third Eye Distillery. And it is a Goa-based uh, enterprise. And um, 
it does, it, it, it's like, hey, we got Jin, I mean, we got Juniper in it, but they, they are definitely wanting to, to really get into what it means to have a, an Indian based, particularly a Goan based palette uh, on this liquor. So you've, you're getting lots of black pepper, nutmeg, mace, coriander seed, many different kinds of citrus peels. Um, so it is, it is also another one I want to try. Um, I also love their particular branding, um, which I'll include because I think, I think it's, it's pretty beautiful, but, uh, there, if you go to the website, um, it looks like your, your, I think it's supposed to be essentially a, a picture of like a, a going, a going town. Um, and there's a, obviously like a pub it says Gibson's till dawn. And then right on top of it, there's a sign that says inherently Indian. Um, so it is, I think really, really interesting when we're talking about colonization and the legacy of it, we're never going to be able to make all of that right. It's just, it's, it's in our bones. That's, that's what it is. But what is kind of amazing is taking a liquor um, that was introduced to your country in maybe not in the most peaceful way. Um, and even though your country, your identity has helped flavor um, this liquor that has become an important export for um, the country that has colonized you, <laughs> taking it back and saying, well, this is an Indian liquor and um, we can make it better. And this is how we're doing it. Um, so I think that's a, that's a pretty amazing story there. Uh, I will have the Whetstone article so you guys can reference it and guys, if any of y'all have tried these gins and you're like, Deepa, this is the one, this is it, let me know because I am deeply interested um, in, in getting to know more about these gins for, for many purposes, not just, not just so I can make my uh, signature buckwheat tea uh, cocktail <laughs> a little bit better. You know, maybe that's all it takes. Maybe I just need... A gin that's including a little bit of black pepper and coriander seed. Because everything else about the cocktail is brilliant, obviously. Also, I'm playing fast and loose with the word cocktail. Okay, guys, that is, that is everything gin. That I am all ginned out, okay? Um, except later tonight. But that's neither here nor there. Um... What is coming up? What is going on with Sick Palette? Maybe you guys are saying, hey, the, co the content, you're talking about it, but it's getting churned out a little bit slower and slower. A lot is going on. Um, and uh, first things first, first uh, public event is already out. Uh, if you go to the Antonelli's website with the link included and you live in Austin and you want to try a cheese board that has 
lots of lots of spice, lots of flavor. We got something special for you. So that is happening November 19th. Click on that link and um, it's it's only 24 seats. So it's a good time to maybe grab a couple, couple seats for you and somebody special. November 19th before you have to go duke it out with some relatives. Pre-Thanksgiving, you know what I'm saying? Um, and then soon, 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 me and Ava of Austin Quaco uh, will be dropping our Supper Club event, Thali Supper Club, which is going to be November 12th. Um, I will drop a link where you can basically add your email to make sure that you have all of the updates for it. That's going to be at the training kitchen. Um, and the, some of the proceeds are going to go towards the training kitchen, which is this incredible uh, nonprofit micro farm here in South Austin. All of that is going on, plus a few other event stuff that we can't talk about yet. Um, but in your particular feed, soon, soon, I promise, we've got a Jaggery newsletter. Holy moly, we got a Jaggery newsletter coming out soon. Um, we've got more day party iterations. Um, we've got a supper club report coming at you. We've got, I think, another TV um, podcast, TV-based review podcast um, that I'm really, really excited about. Thank you guys so much for the feedback on the bear. Um, love that. Love that we're, we're, we're interested we're interested in what we have to say TV-wise. Listen, we're not just talking wine. We're not just talking gin. We're talking TV, baby. Hollywood. <laughs> and um, I also have a couple interviews that I am really, really um, psyched about. I'm going to try my hardest not to fangirl too hard when talking to them. And I think, I think that's it. Um, as usual, thank you guys so much for listening. And um, if you're like, hey, let's make this paid. It's $30 a year. If $30 is too much, email me. Let me know because there is going to be a lot of co content coming. And there's already a, a slew, a, an archive for you um, that I would love for all of y'all to access. So that's it. I'll talk to you guys soon. Goodbye.